Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse number 5. When Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Aren't you glad to serve a God who knows what he's doing? He doesn't get caught off guard. He knows what he's doing. And really, he was testing Philip here. How are we going to feed these people? And tonight, let me share some thoughts with you on this subject. But what if he doesn't? But what if he doesn't? God bless you. You may be seated. Picture a vast multitude of people. They're hungry. Nobody has prepared a buffet. There's nothing planned for a meal. And yet he knows that they're hungry and that they need to be fed. So what does he do? He's constantly testing his disciples, knowing, as it said here, what he is going to do. He knows about the lad with the lunch. He knows that already. Yet he says, go and ask everybody if they have any food that they would bring to the master. Yet he knows what's going to be brought. See, he, he doesn't need our wealth. He doesn't need all that we think is required. He only needs our willingness and our cheerful giving to bless and meet the needs of others. So watch what happens here in John 6 and 9. They said, there's a lad here who had five barley loaves, two small fishes, but what are they among so many? That's the logical thinking of man. But watch what Jesus does with the little that is given to him. Jesus, this is verse 11, took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled up, he said unto the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. He takes what is placed in his hands, he blesses it, He breaks it. He gives it out to the disciples. The disciples do not eat. They distribute to everybody that needs to eat. Then, and only then, does Jesus and the disciples eat. And when everybody is full, he says, now gather up the food that's left over. Don't let anything be wasted. Point being, give what God tells you to give and it will be enough. Give what God tells you to give and what God requires and it will be enough because 
He will put it in his hands, bless it, break it, and distribute it to where it needs to go. Trust, obedience, and thankfulness. All of us need to be tots. T-O-T. Trust, obedience, thankfulness. So they gather up and they find 12 baskets. Now I believe this is Brother Kylie's opinion, so if you don't like it, maybe you got a better one. But I believe that they failed the test in gathering up the fragments. 12 baskets. The good thing about God is that if you fail the test, he'll let you take it again. Isn't that great? It's kind of like a driver's test. Remember when you took your driver's test when you were probably 16 years old and how afraid you were and, oh my goodness, if I fail this test, it's the end of the world. You know, everybody will think I'm an idiot. I'll feel like such a failure in life. Here you are, 16 years old, and this is the most major event that's ever happened to you at 16. And yet, even your parents, like my parents, said, well, what's the worst that could happen? If you fail, you get to take the test again. That's the way it is with God, too. If you fail, you get to take the test again. You need to get back up, make another effort, and let God help you to be promoted. See, tests are not to fail you. Tests are to promote you. Can somebody say amen? God doesn't give us tests so that we can fail. He gives us tests so that he can promote us. Promotion does not come from the east or the west, north or the south. Promotion comes from the Lord. But you can't be promoted until you're first tested. Brother Smith, when he was here one time, said something I thought was profound. He said, you can't have a testimony without first having a test. Isn't that amazing? And all of us have a testimony, amen? And in our testimony, we have revealed that we have failed. But now we've taken the test again and we have moved on. So since I believe they failed the test, let me read to you from Mark chapter 8. First it was the 5,000. Now this is a separate event. This is another feeding of the multitude in Mark chapter 8. It says, he commanded the people to sit on the ground. Now this is the 4,000. And he took the seven loaves and he gave thanks and he brake and he gave the disciples to set before them and they did set them before the people. Same exact pattern in the test all over again. It's exactly the same. And they had a few small fishes and he blessed it and he commanded to set before them also before them. So they did eat, they were filled, they took up the broken meat that was left, seven baskets and they that had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Why seven baskets? The first time it was 12. Here's what I think happened in the feeding of the 5,000. After he tells them to gather the baskets, they all bring their baskets to Jesus, and each of them has one full basket, 12 full baskets from 12 disciples. Here, here's what's been left over. What are we going to do with it? And I think that they came to the conclusion that God wanted them each to have 
one basket apiece. There's 12 of us. That must mean God wants us each to have our own basket. And sometimes when we first come into the church, we think that God wants us to have only our one basket. And he wants us to have a full basket of what he has blessed and is left over for us. And sometimes we forget about giving and we think only about receiving. You know, if I become a Christian, God's going to help me with my finances. And I'm going to be blessed financially and all my bills are going to be paid and and I'm going to be able to get a bunch of things that I've always wanted in life because the blessing of the Lord is on my life. Where's the giving of the Lord in your life? I think he forces them into this situation by giving them this kind of a test because I think that they're looking at seven baskets and saying, how are we going to divide the baskets? None of us know how to divide seven by 12. If I asked you right now, if you could tell me what that would be, all of you would scratch your head or reach for your phone and a calculator. Right? Because you don't know either. And so they think about it for a minute. Maybe we're getting another test. What is he trying to teach us here by leaving these seven baskets? And maybe, just maybe, Somebody was smart enough to say, well, it would have been a whole lot easier if there had just been six baskets because we each could have divided a basket. And maybe somebody said, amen. Maybe what he's trying to teach us is we should give him a full basket. And then we could each divide a basket. I think they came to that conclusion. And I think that you and I have too. I I believe I know my audience tonight. And I believe my audience knows the power of giving and tithing and putting God first because God blesses cheerful givers. Amen? And so what they're learning here is they're learning that they're first to put God in the front of the line And then they need to learn how to share and take care of one another's needs from the same basket. That's maturity that God brings into their life through giving. How many of you have believed that you've matured in your giving? If If you've been around a long time, you get a little bit older, you realize that Christmas isn't about receiving, it's about giving. When you were a little child, what did you think of? What am I going to get for Christmas? I want to open the gift right now. I want to shake it. I want to guess. You're only thinking about receiving. That's immaturity. But as you get a little bit older and you see the joy that comes because you allow things to go through your life and be distributed to others in giving, maturity, spiritual maturity comes to your life. Now, I said all that to get your attention, but now I want to shift my gears and and go in the direction of another direction. James chapter 5, I'd like you to turn there with me. James chapter 5 and verse 14. Is there any that are sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. 
let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. We know what we're supposed to do when we hear about somebody that's sick. We know we're supposed to call for the elders. We know that we're supposed to anoint people with oil. But what we do not know is what will happen after we pray. And we say, oh, I I know what's going to happen. God's going to heal them. Well, maybe you got more faith than I got. But I don't always know. So I just do what I'm supposed to do, and I let God do what only God can do. I know this, if they don't get prayed for, they're probably going to continue as they are. But if I do what I'm supposed to do, then it allows God to bless his word and to honor faith. He honors our faith. I remember Brother Arnold talking about this very subject. They asked him a question, and you know he was pretty outspoken, and and, uh, they said, well, Brother Arnold, what happens when you pray for the sick? You lay hands on them and you pray the prayer of faith, and They don't get healed. What do you do then? He said, oh, it's simple. I just say, next. I go to the next one. I've never healed anybody. I've never filled anybody with the Holy Ghost. I am not the Savior of the world. I'm just doing what God asks me to do. And so I'm asking you, What if God doesn't heal them? How does that affect your faith? What if he doesn't heal? What if he doesn't heal? Take a look here at Paul. We just got done being instructed on praying for the sick. Here's perhaps the greatest of all apostles. 2 Corinthians 12 and 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said, no. And he wasn't content with his first answer. And he wasn't content with his second answer. And he wasn't even content with his third answer. But even if God says no, look at the reaction of Paul to what God does say to him. My grace, verse 9, is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What if God says no? Paul could have said, you know, 
I would like to present my case, Lord. Many people have been healed at my hand with my prayers. I give you the praise and the glory. I know you're the healer, but, but I, I have preached faith. I have done what has been required of me. I've been through trials and tribulations, and I only ask you for this one thing. And God says no. Why does one live and another die? Why is one healed and another remains sick? I don't know. I only know my responsibility, and I know your responsibility. And I have to leave the rest in God's hands. And even if I go through these things that Paul mentioned here, what if not? What if he says, no, I will proceed. I will persevere. I will keep praying for the sick. I will keep encouraging other people. I will attempt to build faith. Can I get an amen? If not, I will keep going. Let me give you this example. Luke chapter 22, verse number 42. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What is he saying? I don't want to drink of this cup. I'm not looking forward to what I'm about to go through. And I would appreciate your deliverance. If the disciples hadn't been sleeping, maybe they'd even heard him say things like, you know, I could still do a lot of good on the earth for any number of years. Why at the age of 33? He may have presented his case as a man, but when he came to the conclusion, he had to leave it in hands that were greater than the hands of man and say, but if not then I'll go through. I'll do what is required. But what if not? It's not easy. It's not understandable because sometimes we think we're entitled. You know, we have this problem in our society, but we should not have it in the church. We are not entitled. God doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't owe me anything. Take a look here at Hebrews chapter 11. This hall of faith that we, that we read about. All the wonderful things that God does. Isn't it incredible? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And we go through all these great men and even great women of God and, and all the tremendous things that God has done. But if you come to the end of the chapter, it says in verse 36, and others. Let me talk to you about others for a minute. The ones that didn't get a miracle. Others had the trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, bonds and imprisonment, stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, 
wandered around in deserts and in mountains, dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. In spite of all that they went through, they obtained a good report. A good report. God could have delivered them, but he chose not to. Chose not to. Here's what I'm thinking. I, I, I hope you're thinking with me. God, why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, pour out all the garbage on those heathens. Give it to them. They've earned it. They take your name in vain. They violate your word. They're not afraid to lift their voice against you. I mean, pour out your wrath on them. Don't let any bad thing happen to us. And they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll come to the conclusion, you know, if we'd have been Christians, this wouldn't have happened to us. But they'd have been serving God for the wrong reason. They'd have been serving Santa Claus instead of Jesus. And the point is this. If I never see another miracle, I've seen enough. How about you? How many miracles does it take before you're convinced that there is a God and he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us? It's there. It's available. How many more miracles do we have to see? But I think, this is my opinion again, I think God is saying, whether they get a miracle or not, they're going to serve me. They're not serving me for the loaves and the fishes, the toys and the benefits. They're serving me because they love me. Let me give you another example. Daniel chapter 3. I know you know this, but it bears repeating. Nebuchadnezzar had set up an image that everybody was to bow down to, and if they would not, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace and destroyed. Three Hebrew children refused to bow down. Their leader, Daniel, was not there. I don't know where Daniel was at this time, but he wasn't there, so it was just the three of them without their mentor. There's going to be a time when your pastor is not going to be there. Your mentor is not going to be there. And you're going to be challenged. And you're not going to feel anything. And you're not going to hear the voice of God. And no fire and brimstone is coming down from heaven. But you're going to be challenged. And you're going to have to make a choice. Watch how these young boys handle it. Is it true, 14 of Daniel 3, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Let me give you another chance. I kind of like you boys. So if you're ready, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, if you fall down and worship the image which I've made, well, we'll just forget it. But if you worship not, you will be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? I'm glad you asked that question, Nebuchadnezzar. Here is our response. O King Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. There's no prayer meeting. There's no consulting or consorting with one another. They all come to the same conclusion. They know what to say. And if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And here's what I'm talking about tonight. But if not, know this, O king, we're not going to serve your gods, and we're not going to worship your golden image, which you have set up. That needs to be the church's answer for today. We are not careful. We are not going to blend in. Here's another question I have. Maybe somebody can enlighten me. Do you think there were only three Hebrew children? Where are the rest of your buddies? Where's the rest of the believers? Where are they at? There's just three three guys standing up. Everybody that came with them is on their face. But three, they wouldn't bow down. We don't stand in popularity. We don't need numbers. We need to know what is right and to do what is right. And God will either give us the miraculous or give us the grace that he promised Paul to go through whatever we have to go through as long as we do what we're supposed to do. And they knew that they were not supposed to bow down and worship the images of the nation they lived in. And that goes for America too. That goes for America too. Don't bow down to the images. Don't worship them. Worship God. And him only shall you serve. Him only. So watch what happens here. Daniel 3, and these three men, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. 24, Nebuchadnezzar, king, was astonished. He rose up in haste and spake and said unto the counselors, Did we not cast three men in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He said, Lo, I see four men walking loose in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt, nor form of the fourth is like the sun, or God must be wearing some flesh. I see four. 
This was all for Nebuchadnezzar. This was all staged by God. He knew, come on now, he knew what he was going to do. He only needed their cooperation. They didn't know. Here we go to the fiery furnace. Well, it won't take long to burn us up if that's the way it's going to be. But we know what's on the other side of this fiery furnace. Better, than, better this furnace than the other furnace. This would be short term, but we know what we're supposed to do. And they would not. And Nebuchadnezzar spake in verse 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted him, have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. He brags on them. He admits his god is inferior to their god. He, he goes even further here in verse 29. So now I'm going to make a new decree. Every people, every nation, every language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he will be cut in pieces, his house will be made a dunghill. There is no other God that can deliver after this sort. He saw it. He saw it firsthand. I think the world is watching for the people that don't get a miracle. Oh, they like the miracles. And they'll take it when they need it. And there are no atheists in foxholes. And people that make fun of you and laugh and, and might tease and provoke you, when they get an improper diagnosis... Hey, Rob, can I talk to you? I just got some really bad news from the doctor. Would you pray for me? Oh, yeah. It's altogether different when you're the one that needs a miracle. I believe in your God. I know I've made fun of you and, and all of that, but, but, but deep down I believe, and I don't have any, anywhere else to go. I remember... My good friend, Brother Schmaltz, said something one time, and I never forgot it. Brother Schmaltz was 10 years younger than I am. He was the North American Missions Director at the time, and he was doing a fantastic work. And he got cancer. And so did I. But for whatever reason, God gave me a miracle but he didn't give Mike Schmaltz a miracle. Mike Schmaltz had faith. Anybody and everybody that came to his office that would pray for him, I mean ministers from all over the district, people would come and say, Brother Schmaltz, we're believing for a miracle. And he said, I am too. And I, I believe God's going to give me my miracle. But he didn't. He didn't get a miracle. And when he came to his last days, and he allowed me to visit him. In a moment of weakness, I asked the wrong question. I said, Mike, why? Why? Why you? 
Why not me? You know what Mike Schmaltz said? He said, Brother Kylie, God uses some people to teach us how to live and some people to teach us how to die. How do you like that answer? Some people teach us how to live and some people teach us how to die. He died gracefully. He never cursed God. Never blamed God for his situation. I believe and I want a miracle, God. But if not, I'm going to save you. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve whatever time I have left. I'm going to remain your servant. <laughs> Last thing I bring to your attention tonight, 2 Kings chapter 5. I believe there's a whole world watching us. They're watching us. My wife brought this to my attention, so I'm stealing this thought from her. 2 Kings 5, 1. I did that so that I don't go to prison for plagiarism. <laughs> 2 Kings 5 and 1. Now Naaman was captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master. He was honorable. And because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, he also was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Israelites at this time were in bondage to the Syrians. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto Naaman's wife, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria. He would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is in the land of Israel. This little maid spoke about the miracles that take place in Israel through the prophets. And this word, because it was in Naaman's house, leaked out to the king. And the king made arrangements for Naaman to have an audience. Now I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you this part of the story just for the sake of time. So when Naaman finds this out, he gathers some of his wealth, sets of clothing, things that he could offer as a gift for what he's about to ask. He comes to the man of God. The man of God is in the house. His servant comes out and says, what can we do for you? He said, well, I'm here because it has been reported to me that the prophet is in this house and I am here because I have leprosy and I'm asking for a miracle. The man of God never even comes out of the house. 
he says to his servant, you tell him to go down to the Jordan River and dip himself seven times and he'll get his miracle. Doesn't even come out of the house. So the servant comes back out and says, this is what the man of God said. The man of God was not, excuse me, Naaman was not happy. First of all, he's somebody special. He's done pretty good at the way he treats the Jews and did not even get an audience with the man of God. Why, that's an insult. He could have at least come out here and told me that. And second of all, the waters that I live near are cleaner than that filthy Jordan River. I don't like what's been asked of me. And he rides off. And they're riding along. And, and one of his servants says, Naaman, are you going to stop at the Jordan River? Are you going to dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times? He said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the servant says, would you be any worse off than you are right now? I mean, yeah, you can avoid the Jordan River, but you'll still have leprosy. What would it hurt for you to dip yourself and, and to be obedient? Boy, there's a message in there to preach. You talk about an evangelistic message. Salvation is so simple and easy, isn't it? And again, I know my audience, so I'm not going there tonight. But God doesn't ask difficult things of us. How hard is it to come to an altar of repentance unless you're so full of pride and rebellion and disobedience that you can't bend a knee? How hard is it to be baptized, even dipped once, in the name of Jesus? Is that difficult? Is it embarrassing to admit that you never saw it before and now you're willing to obey? How hard is it to come to an altar and lift your hands and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but, but you're afraid to come because you say, what if I don't receive the Holy Ghost? But if not, I'll tell you what the answer is. Come back the next service. And the next service. And the next service. Or the next Bible study. Or the next prayer meeting. Just keep coming. Because God always keeps his promises. So what does Naaman do? Here it is. 14, 2 Kings 5. He went down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. His flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God. He and all his company and came and stood before him and said, Behold, now I know Now I know that there is a God in all the earth. No God in all the earth, but in Israel. And therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of your servant. Why did God allow it? For his own glory. I, I wasn't real excited to hear that I had cancer. But now I can brag about God everywhere. Let's stand together. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 12. And when they were filled, 
he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. How many of us have come to God as broken vessels like Brother Mike Kiley preached about two Sundays ago? All busted up, a mess, broken fragments. And God said, I would that nothing would be lost. Nothing would be lost. He's an expert at putting lives together. Jesus, I pray tonight that this church, myself included, would understand our responsibilities, what you require of us, and know that a whole world is watching us, watching our miracles and watching our faith, watching our trials and watching our tribulations, and know that whether or not we get the miracle. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.